Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Caleb Barrett. Today's episode will be the beginning of my series on 1 Timothy. We focus on the first two verses of Paul greeting his student Timothy. This message is entitled, Commissioned by God, Greetings from a Teacher. Let's take a listen. Welcome to everybody. I'm, I'm glad that we can all be here to continue our uh, day of worship uh, this evening. Uh, I'm excited to start this series on the book of First Timothy. Uh, if you were in the morning service two weeks ago, I said I was starting it two weeks ago, uh, but God had other plans, so I'm starting it now. Um, and I'm glad to be starting it. Um, tonight we'll be looking just at the first two verses. But as I, I've been thinking about this uh, book for the past couple months, um, and what it is and <clears throat> what it's telling us today. And it, it's known as the, the first of the three um, pastoral epistles. And I'll get into a little bit of what that means uh, in, in a little bit. But <clears throat> I was thinking about what it would look like for us today. And really the equivalent today would be a recommendation letter. Whether it's by a professor, whether it's by a coworker, by a pastor, something else like that. That is, that is essentially what this letter is. When you're going to college, when you're going to grad school, and you're going for certain jobs, when you're going for certain programs, this, that, or the other thing, you need certain type of recommendations. You need professors, you need past pastors, you need uh, professional uh, acquaintances or wh- whatever else uh, that give you certain uh, criteria that that place needs. When I, when I applied to come here as a pastor, I needed three recommendations, and they had to be certain people um, or certain types of people. Um, And more or less, that's what this letter is. This is Paul not just telling Timothy, like, here's what we need to do, but also it's to the church to tell them to listen to Timothy. Paul, in in a way, is putting his stamp on Timothy as somebody to be listened to. Um, And we see that in these first two verses. That's essentially what these two verses are, is that stamp of approval on Timothy. Um, But before we get into reading the first two verses of the book tonight, uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you've called us into this place, that we get to come and worship you in the morning, but that we continue to worship you in the evening. And we're so thankful that we're able to do so, whether it's those of us that are here in person, those of us that are streaming, or for anyone else that watches this later in any of our uh, various forms of that. We just ask that this message is a blessing to you, that it is your truth and not my words, that it is what you intend for us and not my uh, wandering. And I just pray that you help us to see your truth in all these things. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Maybe. There we go. So I promise this whole series isn't going to be two verses at a time. But this first two verses are the introduction. This is the introduction to the letter, so it felt fitting to start with these two. But it says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. <coughs> And there's really a lot in that greeting. Um, 
and we're going to look at that tonight. But to understand this, to understand this letter, we really need to understand the background of the letter, who's sending it, why they're sending it. Uh, we see that Paul is the one who wrote it. But in recent times, there's been a lot of question if Paul is the one who wrote it. There's a few letters that uh, there's a lot of questioning in who wrote these various letters. There's tradition that says this person, but is that accurate? This letter was signed by that. This letter is signed by that person. Is that true? Uh, because there was a tradition at this time of signing a letter in somebody else's name. Um, and it wasn't done in a plagiarizing way, but if you heard me preach a sermon and wanted to write a letter to somebody about that topic, you might write a letter based on that to send to somebody in my name. Now, obviously, we don't do that today anymore because that kind of gets out of hand pretty quick, um, especially with misinterpretations. But there's been question if this is what was happening with this letter, uh, especially because the style seems to differ dramatically from Paul's other letters, but it differs drastically because it's to a drastically different audience. The majority of Paul's letters are written to churches that are not keeping up with what they should be keeping up with. Most of his letters are telling churches how to correct errors. This letter, while it has that, isn't let, written directly to that church. It's written instead to Timothy, who he calls a true child in the faith. Of course the style is going to be different. Any letter that you write, any email that you write, any, uh, anything that you write is going to be different depending on the audience. Uh, if I'm writing an email to Pastor Dennis, an email to Naomi, and an email to Gateway Seminary, the style is going to be different in each, three, in each of the three. If you read them, they may not seem like the same person uh, because they may d uh, differ that drastically. Um, in fact, I use a program, it's called Grammarly, and it's kind of a spell check turned up to 11. But it doesn't just check spelling, it checks grammar, but it also checks style. And one of the things when I'm writing an email, because it's programmed into my email, is that there's a little symbol at the bottom of um, every email that I send um, before I send it. It disappears after I send it, but that shows me the apparent style of this email. And part of that is to make sure that I don't write things that should be formal casually and, and vice versa. Uh, but it's the same thing here. Yeah, the style is different because Paul's writing it to his student. Paul's writing it to somebody that he's, he's very close with. Uh, but what was it written for? I already made some uh, allusion to this, but as with most of Paul's letters, it was written uh, to correct an error, but even more so... Uh, this is one, one of his first three pastoral epistles. He wrote two to Timothy and one to Titus. And in essence, these are telling Timothy and Titus how the church is supposed to operate, the way that, that it is envisioned for the body of Christ to function, the way that it is envisioned for us to do ministry and worship God together. Now, you may hear that it's a pastoral epistle and assume that means it is only applicable to pastors but it is really for everybody because pastors may lead the church. We may teach the church, as uh, Pastor Dennis said this morning. No, it was uh, uh, Deacon Logan said this morning that, that the pastors are to equip everyone, but we all do the ministry. It is all of us that are doing ministry. So these are very important to everyone, partially because it says how pastors are supposed to act. It, it gives the requirements of being a pastor or being a deacon. If the general congregation doesn't know these and understand these, it's going to let false teaching in very easily. Uh, so these are very important for that reason, and that's exactly what Paul is addressing Timothy 
with in this. Um, but the first thing that we see in this is the authority. So it's the authority of the Scriptures. We see it more clearly in Second Timothy uh, where Paul writes that all Scripture is God-breathed. But even in this, it is putting the stamp of authority on this letter in his signature of Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Uh, in fact, it doesn't just say that, but uh, of Christ Jesus by, commanded, by command of God. So it's not a job he applied for. It's not uh, an office he petitioned for. It's an office that he was told to inhabit. Uh, when Christ came to him on that road, Christ didn't say, I have this job you might be interested in. No, he said, this is what's happening. It was a command. It was declarative. It was not a request. So in this, he is giving his authority and the authority of what he is writing. Now, I, my guess would be that Paul didn't fully understand what he was doing at the time in terms of it's going to be what the church is reading 2,000 years later. I'm guessing he didn't fully see that in the scope of this. Uh, he probably didn't see that he would be the author of half of the New Testament. But it's what was happening. It is how he was inspired to write it, and it's how the Holy Spirit showed the significance of this letter. And when we look at the, 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 the Scriptures, we need to ask, how do we get the New Testament? And it's through regulations that, that councils of the church set up in the early church to figure out who, which, which letters do we keep? What is authentic teaching and what isn't? Uh, the word for that is the canon, the, the, the scriptural canon. Uh, and there's, there's several requirements to it. There's the content of the books that they don't contradict one another, that they're, they're recognized by the early church that somebody didn't write something and slip it in that nobody's ever seen before, uh, that the dates make sense, that it's not something that was written in the third century. Um, but then... The one that I'm going to focus on a little bit is the apostolic origins. Um, in other words, that it is part, in part, has apostolic authority. So every one of the New Testament uh, letters is either written by an apostle or by a student of an apostle. Uh, the vast majority are written by apostles, uh, but Luke wasn't one. Uh, he was a student of one. Uh, Mark wasn't Yep, Mark wasn't. He was a student of Peter. Just had to double check that, make sure that I was saying the right name. Uh, but, but they were both students of apostles. They got information and confirmation from, from Peter and Paul, respectively. Uh, and, and this is part of the apostolic authority that Paul is putting on this letter. And because of this, that's how we know today that the Scriptures are contained. They were protected in a way through this. They, the, the, this group of people didn't get this idea from humanly sources, but they were shown a way to do this so that God protected his scripture. And there are false teachings out there today that claim to be lost books of the Bible that, that, missed, that missed the cut, but they were supposed to be in there. Uh, you'll hear that with books like uh, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary. Um, and if you read those, one of the problems, aside from the fact that there is no confirmation of when they were written. The dates for the earliest copies of them don't match up, uh, but they contradict other teachings in Scripture. So we need to watch for that false teaching, and in fact, that's one of the 
points of this letter is false teaching in this church where Timothy is pastor. Uh, but Paul emphasizes this again in his greeting that he is commanded by God. It is by command of our God and Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Uh, we need to see that, that there's a significance of their roles. There's a significance of what the apostles did, both uh, in the narrative of, that we see in the book of Acts, but also in what we see in their various epistles. This command, uh, by command of God, there's a couple things even in that that we see that are important. Uh, when it comes from God, our Savior, generally when we see Savior attributed to one of the three parts of the Trinity, it's Christ. Christ our Savior. Uh, but it was very common in the Old Testament for God our Savior, uh, partially because in the Old Testament we don't see the distinction of the parts of the Trinity very often uh, unless you read a little bit more closely with information that we are given later in the New Testament. Um, but he's emphasizing this fact that, that our God is, that God is Savior, that He is Savior in Trinity, that it isn't uh, Christ alone that saves us, it is salvation through God the Father. And that in Christ Jesus we have this hope. Um, and while he doesn't mention the Spirit, we know that this writing comes through the Holy Spirit. But this, this all isn't just written for Timothy, and it is a reminder to Timothy that his teacher is one of the apostles, that this encouragement is coming from somebody with that uh, type of teaching and authority. It's not coming from uh, somebody that's, that's uh, an amateur. Instead, it's coming from somebody that's probably one of the best-read scholars in all of redemption history. Um, but it's also telling the people of Timothy's church, listen to him. He has this station and he has this approval by me, one of the apostles. It's like uh, a warrant being signed by a judge, that there is this now authority given in this piece of paper. There is an authority given in this letter to Tim for Timothy to the church. And in this, we really see that we have to have faith in the Scriptures. We need to know that the Scriptures are inerrant. They are without error. And we need to hold to that because we see their authority. We see their authority in various places. Now, I'm referencing places outside of this passage in particular, but we see Paul building on that. Uh, like I said before, it's in 2 Timothy where he also says that, that uh, all Scripture is God-breathed. That not only is it from his authority as apostle because it's not because of that authority, but it's because that it is God-breathed. It is from the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit because we know not everything the apostles did and said was divinely appointed in that way. Not all of it held that same level of authority as this letter does. But this is a major teaching. This is a very important teaching. When I, when I teach on the... Uh, statement of faith uh, of anything really, but, but the statement of faith of the Baptist faith and message. Um, and, and Logan has heard me teach this, and I'm pretty sure Dennis and John have both heard me say this, that, that throughout everything in that statement is important. It wouldn't be in there if it wasn't important. Um, and probably the most important is the doctrine of God and who he is because he is the most important. He is God. Um, but 
for us now in our fallen world, probably the most important teaching for us to understand is the teaching of the scriptures, that the scriptures are without error. And I say that because without that teaching, everything falls apart. It's so easy to say if they're not completely in error, if there's a couple mistakes in there. Well, now there's a couple more. Well, and I found a couple more, and I found a couple more, uh, and it gets to where nothing means anything anymore. Uh, And we've seen this in major denominations, including our own. Uh, Being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, there was a major uh, straying from truth for a long time. Uh, And there were various controversies that came out of this, but they all had their core in their view of Scripture that it wasn't completely without error. Um, And thankfully, there was a conservative resurgence, but they weren't the only ones that went through this. Several other denominations went through it. Some survived and some didn't. Some had to split to hold on to that conservative nature. Uh, We know that with our uh, Presbyterian brothers, that, that there are two major branches of the Presbyterian church, the PC. Uh, PCA, which still holds to this conservative teaching, and the PS- PCUSA, which does not. Um, but <clears throat> so we see this authority of the scriptures. We see this authority given uh, by Paul to this letter to Timothy in his church. But then he calls Timothy, Timothy man, that's going to be hard to say over and over again, but I'll get there, uh, that Timothy is his true son in the faith. And what do we see in that? And like everything else in Scripture, there are multiple thoughts. There's disagreement, because I don't think there's anything in Scripture that everybody agrees with. Uh, With conservative circles, there's about five things that we probably all agree with, but that's probably it. Um, But there are three ideas. One is that he was a convert of Paul. Another is that he was just a disciple of Paul. And another is just that it's a general younger person in the faith. Um, Whether it's younger, literally, in this case, we do know that Timothy is younger than Paul, or somebody that's just a newer believer. Um, Some say there's evidence in the scriptures that point point to Timothy being a convert. Others say that there's evidence that show he's not. But I don't think it's really important if Timothy was a convert of Paul. The idea, regardless, is that he is obviously a disciple of Paul. He's obvious to be one of uh, Paul's trusted assistants. And I do think that this shows the importance of discipleship. Now, I'll say that if, if you lead somebody to Christ, there is a responsibility you hold, uh, not in the conversion, but then making sure you plug them into a good church. You help them find a place Um, if it's somebody that isn't from where you're living, whether it's because you're visiting somewhere, it's somebody over the internet, because that's something that can happen now, or whatever else, uh, we live, we live here in a place where there are many, many tourists, so it's not unheard of that somebody would be visiting that comes to faith. Uh, I'm not saying it's your responsibility to disciple them directly, but there's ways to find them somebody to help them. There's ways to make sure that they have what they need in that way. Um, Pastor Dennis and I just did a podcast on the gospel, and that's one of the things that we emphasize. If, if, you, if somebody comes to faith and you don't know how to do that, let us know, and we'll, we have ways of doing that. We know uh, people throughout the country. We know people who know people. But we need to make sure that everyone has this disciple, discipling relationship. It's extremely important. 
and there is this importance of discipleship. It's something that, is, that I emphasize a lot, but we should all be learning from somebody, but at the same time, we should all be teaching somebody. For those that are brand new in the faith, maybe it's not going to look the same way as for somebody that's been uh, studying for a long time, but we should all be looking for that. We should all be looking for somebody to be discipled by as well as somebody to disciple. Um, it's, somebody, it's something that I'm constantly looking for. It's something that I'm excited for next year. I have to do an internship uh, through seminary, and by decree of the seminary, Pastor Dennis and Logan are going to be my disciplers next year. Not that they weren't already, but formally, according to the school on pieces of paper, uh, they will be. And I'm excited for that, and that's something that's necessary. It doesn't matter what your role is. You need to have that. You need to be looking for both sides of that. And in this, there's an openness that we need to have in that relationship. It's this, this idea that he's a true son in the faith, a true child in the faith, rather, is, is the word, not son. But with that parent-child relationship, uh, even though obviously Paul isn't actually Timothy's father, it is an as- aspect of a spiritual relationship, it also gives this closeness, th- this intimacy that we need to understand. And in that, I mean that we need to be open with one another. We need to be honest with one another. We need to be willing to ask each other difficult questions and and answer difficult things if we're going to truly uh, grow in that way. But also if we're going to trust one another enough to have that bond, to have that trust with one another. Uh, There is one of the best choral conductors of all time. His name is Weston Noble, and I heard a lecture by him. He's since passed. Um, but his, his lecture was on this. It was on if you're going to have a real choir, and, and in any case, any group that's going to trust you in that way, you need to be open with them. You need to be willing to share things that are difficult with them. And, and in different relationships, that's going to look a little bit differently. But his student who is, took over for a position that he had after he retired at uh, Luther College, I believe, uh, gave an, his own example of this, and it's that he was going through some, some medical uh, issues and they were very concerning, and somebody in his choir recognized that he was struggling with something and that he was concerned, and they asked him, and he said that I could have easily ignored it, but instead I shared that I was struggling, and my choir prayed for me. And how significant of it is that? How significant is that kind of open relationship that we can be praying for one another? But in this relationship, this discipling relationship, we need to be willing to be open with one another. It's not just the student that should be uh, open to the teacher, which is true, but it needs to be going both ways. Um, All of my best teachers have had this openness about them. And it can be difficult, but it's something, that intimacy that we see here. But in this even in these first two verses, we see that we need to take discipleship seriously. It is a very important thing. We need to pass down what we know. We need to pass down mistakes that we've made to help others avoid them. We need to pass down what we see. Uh, and this may be in various places. Uh, this should be in the church and the family. In the family, that, that we should all be looking to older relatives to learn from. We should all be looking to pass on to the next generation, whether if, it, if it's our own children, which for me, that's not going to be the case right yet, uh, but for younger cousins, for, for um, nieces and nephews, that's something that I'm looking to. That's something that I'm trying to do. But it's also in the church. 
um, as I mentioned with, with Pastor Dennis and, and Logan, that that's it within the church. But in the same way, um, even if you're not a pastor, even if you're not in seminary, even if you're not in these relationships, you should be looking for somebody within the church to be learning from. Now, even if you don't think you have the type of biblical knowledge or wisdom to pass on in that way, there's other things you can do to show that way of being. There's things you can do if you're a mechanic and you see somebody in the church that wants to learn that, teach them. It's these little things. It doesn't always need to be uh, teaching Scripture, but even in that, you can show them how to live a godly life, even if you don't feel as comfortable teaching the Scriptures as somebody with a seminary education. But if you have been coming to church, if you've been going to Bible studies, if you've been reading your Bible, there's a lot you can pass on with or without that. Uh, some of the best uh, teachers that I've heard on Scripture aren't high-level scholars. We need to be looking to have that relationship in the family and in the church. And as I mentioned, with a convert, uh, with somebody that comes to faith uh, under your testimony, under your uh, uh, guidance, we should be looking to make sure that they have that place, even if it's not with us. Even if you're not comfortable being that person, whether it's because of distance or you're a new believer yourself, you can still connect them with somebody. Bring them to church. Help them connect them with somebody else in the church. If they're going somewhere else, uh, one of the things that I do like that the SBC has is they have a church finder online. And you can't find everything out, out about a church. You can't find if it's going to be a, a strong Bible-believing church just because it's SBC doesn't mean that. You can look in various other denominations that are also biblically strong, but you can't always find that. But you can get a good start and help them sift through it and find that. But this has been a, an important thing in my life. This is some, that, that recognition of, of everyone needing a role model uh, has, has played a major part in th certain things in my life. Uh, for the first five years of my life, my, I didn't have a dad. Um, my, my biological dad left, uh, and it was before my mom met my stepdad, but she recognized that need of that male role model. She recognized that need of having somebody to disciple me in different ways than she was able, so she put me in martial arts. Uh, she put me in martial arts shortly before my third birthday, which when I tell people when to put their kids into martial arts, that's way too young. Uh, but I'm very thankful that I had that. It's, it made um, my life, it changed my life probably completely of what it would have been without that. Um, but in all of my teachers, whether it's been from martial artists to musicians to Bible scholars, there was always this type of open relationship, this understanding, this uh, closeness. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace. So it may, be, it may stop somebody to see me pointing these three things out because doesn't Paul put these in all of his letters? Kind of. Uh, Paul puts two of these in most of his letters. And out of his 13 epistles, he puts grace and peace uh, in almost every one. But this is one of the exceptions where he adds in mercy and and why is that significant? But first we look at peace. And what is peace? Uh, we know uh, that peace was a common Jewish greeting. We see that with Christ. He often greeted people with that peace. It was peace or peace of mind. Um, it's, uh, it's, it was a common greeting and a common farewell. Um, it, it was 
a sense of, of wellness of an individual in some ways, um, but it's the Greek equivalent of shalom, the, the Greek word used translated peace here. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, which is, again, also peace. But one of the interesting things when you look at this word is it's actually very similar to the word aloha uh, in, in a few different ways. One is that it was a common greeting and farewell. That's something that we do. But then there's the spirit of aloha. And what does that mean? It's a loving feeling. It's, it's that kind of expression. And, and in some ways, it's almost a prayer for somebody. When you look at what it, it really means, when you're really saying aloha, when you're not doing it as a cultural thing because you're in Hawaii, when you're not just doing it and passing without thought, when you're really looking at what aloha truly means, it is almost a prayer for somebody. And that's exactly what peace was, uh, what shalom was. Now, while aloha is probably a little bit closer to love than peace, it's a similar idea. This is a word that is, describes our relationship with God when we are forgiven. It describes the rest uh, that we have in God, and it's a prayer for Israel's hope. Uh, and for this to be in all of Paul's letters, he's giving this idea of, uh, it's a common Jewish greeting, but this idea of peace with each other, but even more so peace with God. The peace that we have with God through salvation. And, oops, grace. So you'll see that I'm taking these out of, a little bit out of order, but it's because I want to emphasize mercy and what mercy, the, the significance of mercy being added here is. Grace is God's unmerited favor or reward. Uh, in some places we see it with the idea of salvation because we only have salvation through God's grace. We have salvation because of God's unmerited favor. It is because of God's grace that we are able to have salvation with him. It's referred to as God's gifts and loving disposition toward his people. And it can be toward an individual, but generally it's, it's his people. It's, it's a, a, a more broad uh, greeting. But then we have the addition of mercy. The word that translated mercy, I think we get a lot for what this means. And um, when we talk about the, the Greek and Hebrew words, it's because often it's really hard to translate from the biblical languages for a lot of reasons. Uh, and one of the first things is regardless of if, if you've taken biblical languages, if you've studied any languages, you get a lot of these things that are like, well, it's kind of like, it kind of means. Uh, because there's no direct translation. But the other words that can be translated as mercy are pity and compassion. Now, it's not a negative pity, uh, but it, it is that having a pity for somebody that isn't a struggling place. It's showing compassion on somebody. And in another way of thinking about it, uh, in this instance, it's showing God's special care for an individual need. Now, the importance of that is because Paul is writing to this church where Timothy is the pastor, but he is writing to Timothy also. And in a way, this is a prayer for uh, Timothy from Paul to have mercy on Timothy as he's struggling with these things, as he's leading this church in this difficult time, dealing with these difficult things. It is the showing of compassion on this individual dealing with these things. Uh, anytime Paul 
strays from grace and peace, there's a significant to the overall idea in this book, and that is what it is, is that he's asking for mercy on Timothy, but he's also asking for mercy on other individuals. Uh, and we need to see that. We need to understand that. But over, we've talked about a lot of different things of the background of this book, and a lot of them will make more sense as we go through the series. Uh, one of the difficulties with going through series is, uh, series is? Sure. Uh, is that you need this information to understand next week. But there is a, a significant aspect of what this is saying, um, and that is that everything is from God. All things are from God. We see in this letter, as Paul gives his greeting, uh, that he says his authority is by command of God, and our, our, uh, of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus. Um, and the grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. All of these things come from God. The authority that we see here, both in Paul and the, and the Scriptures, they come from God. This spiritual discipleship comes from God, and that's why we should be looking for it. It's not because it's a human invention, but rather because it is from God. God as Savior, we are saved by the grace and mercy of God the Father and Christ the Son, and we are brought back to life by the Holy Spirit. Christ is hope. He is our hope because of God, from God. This was God's redemptive plan from the beginning. It's not, oh, they screwed up. Oh, they're just not listening to me. Oh, I guess I have to do this. To... This was his plan from the beginning. Christ as our hope but then also his attributes, and in this one, his grace, mercy, and peace. All of these things are from God. We need to have faith in God for all of these things. We need to have faith in God for all that he is. We need to remember that all of these things are from God. We need to see that in all things, believers are commissioned by God. We are given grace by God. We are given all of what we need by God. And I'm excited to see what all of this is going to mean as we continue through the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy in correcting this false teaching, but also as he gives order to how we are to structure and run our churches. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we're able to be together and worship your holy name. We thank you that uh, we have the ability to stream so that those that can't be here for any reason are still able to be with us and that we have the ability to post so anyone that isn't able to watch the stream is able to watch these messages later. And I just ask tonight that as we go from here, we remember that all things are from you, that you commissioned uh, Paul to, be, to go out and be the first and greatest missionary, uh, but that you also inspired him to write all of these letters, that you gave him uh, the ability to do these things, that all of this is from you. And it isn't just for Timothy, it isn't just for that church, but it is for all of your people through time uh, until your time uh, comes to an end and you return. We just ask that we are able to remember that these things are from you and for all of your people. We pray all of these things in your heavenly name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I pray that this message was uh, a blessing to everyone that tuned in today. 
For any questions or comments on this or any other episode, please email us at pastor at mbaptist.org. And please email us there as well if you'd like to request a topic for uh, Pastor Dennis and I or anyone else to discuss uh, in future episodes. For any prayer requests that you may have, please email us at prayer at mbaptist.org. We want to be praying with and for every, uh, each and every one of you, uh, whether or not you are a member of our church. For more information on Mililani Baptist Church, you can find us at mbaptist.org or follow us on social media and YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you will join us again next time.